0: Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The Catholic faith is uh, really focused on Eucharist. I mean, the phrase that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith is really quite overwhelming when you think about it. Uh, compare the Catholic tradition on this point with so many of the other Christian traditions that come out of the 16th century, both the magisterial and radical reformations. And you can see the Catholic Church has maintained an emphasis upon the centrality of the Eucharist. Why is that? Because the Eucharist is not mere symbol. It is truly flesh, bone, hands, and feet. Uh Behold, Christ said, it is I. My guest, Dr. Stacey Trisenkos, has teamed up with Father George Elliott to give us a, a nice apologetics piece on you know, defending scripture tradition and science on the real presence. It, the book is called Behold, It Is I. Stacey Trisenkos is the author of this book, but also Particles of Faith, a Catholic guide to navigating science that we've talked about with her before. She's the executive director of the Saint Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization, and uh, Stacy, good to have you back here. Thanks.
1: Hi, Al. It's good to talk to you again. Let's let's uh, if
0: you don't mind, let's jump right to the the science of it because uh, we've done you know, over, over the years we've done quite a bit on the biblical and uh, patristic aspects of uh, Eucharist. Uh, but I guess what does science say? Uh, what? Where do you even begin when you think of science in the Eucharist? In the mind of many people, they're at polar opposites.
1: Yes, and, and we, when we wrote the book and we called it um, "Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence," we thought that we would include the science part because it seems like today you have to address that. Yep. If you're going to talk about Scripture and tradition. So that's my part of the book. Father George Elliot, a priest in our diocese, um, had the idea to write an apologetics book on the real presence, because he's always explaining that to people mm-hmm. in East Texas, where there's a whole lot of Christians, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of Catholics.
0: Yeah, that's right. And
1: so... He explains that, and he asked me if I would do the science part, mm-hmm. because we felt like that was needed in a three-pronged approach to an apologetics book.
0: No, I think it's it's a smart way of going about it. <laughs> where Where do you like to begin on the science <laughs> side of it? Are we talking about a me? miracle here?
1: Yeah, the, well, you know, this kind of, if you don't mind, I'll tell you how we how we even came to this book. Sure. Um, our Our bishop there in the Diocese of Tyler is, is Bishop Joseph Strickland, mm-hmm. and when I became the executive director of his institute, the St. Philip Institute, he had asked me to start giving some talks on Eucharistic miracles, because he felt like that would really strengthen the faith of, of people in the area. Um, and because um, a cardiologist who lives in Tyler, his uh, daughter had sent him a video of the Buenos Aires miracles, and he had he's a good he's good friends his family's good friends with Bishop Strickland, and he had sent the video to him, and so Bishop Strickland saw this video about the Buenos Aires miracles, and he asked me then because of that to start maybe giving some talks on the Eucharistic miracles. And so I started doing that. But being a chemist myself, I, I told Bishop Strickland I'm not really comfortable giving talks on the scientific investigations when I haven't even seen the data for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just kind of repeating what other people say and I, I don't I'd be more comfortable if I could see the data. So that that's kind of what led Father Elliot to asking me to join him in writing this book and um, we can get into it more in a minute, but, you know, I was very shocked at where my investigations of the investigations led me when I was researching these miracles.
0: Uh, is Can science say anything about the real presence of Jesus? I mean, uh, we talk about him being present under the appearance of bread and wine, so the evidence of our senses indicates that it's bread and wine, uh, but he's there. But is he there in such a way that science can even approach him?
1: Exactly. And that, you know, I'm a chemist, and, when I, and I'm a convert, and when I converted, I remember saying, you mean there's nothing going on different with the atoms and molecules in that bread and wine? <laughs> right. And you want me just to kneel down and stare at it and say, yep, that's Jesus, I believe. <laughs> And it was very strange, you know, and the answer, of course, was yes, that's what transubstantiation means, that the atoms and molecules don't do anything different, but Jesus told us, this is my body, this is, you know, this bread and this wine, this is my body. So you just have to make this act of faith, and um, it's a really pure and simple act of faith. If Jesus said it, then I believe it Mm -hmm. in the story. So, when I heard about Eucharistic miracles, you know, and that a Eucharistic miracle is when something does happen with the atoms and molecules, like they actually change their physical substance. They change from bread to flesh mm-hmm. or from the wine to not just to the real presence of Christ, but the substance actually also changes into blood. So, there have been reports of miracles like that in the history of the church. Um, and I, you know, when I did the, when I studied the data from those investigations, I honestly found the ones I looked at not to have been done very well. Like I think if the goal was to prove that the the bread became heart tissue yeah. or the wine became physical type AB blood, I think the investigations could have done, been done better yeah. But where father Elliot and I came out in the whole book was look, Eucharistic miracles could, actually, could definitely happen, no question about that. They absolutely could happen. But we should not base our faith on the Eucharistic miracles. We should base our faith on what Christ said, that this is my body. So we kind yeah. of came full circle trying to go through the science. We came right back to Scripture and tradition.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you—what do you, do you, reason would, do you think they, that the—there wasn't the kind of scientific rigor— in the investigations that would make you comfortable?
1: Well, um, I don't know why, and I, you know, I go into quite a bit of detail in the book, and, you know, I just want everybody to know that we didn't set out to write the book that way. Like, when I told Father Elliot, hey look, I don't really know if I can conclude the same thing these, these people who did these investigations concluded, um we almost said, you know, he almost said, why don't you just write a separate book then? <laughs> and but we but we decided to keep it together. Um that that wasn't where we planned on going. But so why do I think they weren't done very well? Yeah. I don't know. Like um I can give you a couple examples though, what please. I found. Yeah, please do. Um with like with with the Lanciano miracle, that is the most famous one, right? Mm-hmm. The the one that comes from 700 AD. Yeah. The Dr. Lin, Eduardo Lenoli in the 1970s did a very thorough investigation for his time, and so I and I actually admire the way he did the investigation. But when I got his report um, and read the actual things that he wrote, he said something in the very beginning that I I don't think people notice very much today. Um, he was talking about how the the blood when it when it dried up and and clotted, that the blood from the Lanciano miracle clotted into five blood clots to five pieces, and so, if you go and look at it today, you see five like dried chunks of blood. Mm-hmm. And the very first verification of the miracle is on record as saying that those five chunks all had the same weight. That they, even though they're different sizes and different shapes, they all had miraculously the exact same weight as the other ones. And even when you put all five chunks on the scale together, the five chunks together had the same weight as any one of them individually. Hmm. Now that would truly be a miracle yeah. to see something like that. Yeah. But in all the verifications after the first one, even the one that Lanciano, I mean, that um, Dr. Lenoli did in the 70s, they all say that that. That part could not be verified, in other words, when they weighed the the clots of blood separately, they didn't in fact, they did not have the same weight, and yeah. when you put them all five on a the balance, they did not have the same weight so that you know even in the like the Vatican exhibit that um, the international exhibit of the Eucharistic miracles that's still repeated, but it's it's just not true it's not yeah um. It's not true.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> so no, I, pr- I appreciate. You
1: got to quit saying that. <laughs> yeah,
0: good for you. Um, I I de- <laughs> greatly appreciate that because, uh, especially in uh, with the extraordinary explosion of uh, information uh, technology and the mm-hmm. uh, a- easy access people have to critiques of alleged supernatural activities, uh, we certainly mm-hmm. don't want to find ourselves as the Catholic Church overstating. Uh, what is really um, uh, verifiable. Uh, you know, right. again, I, I take St. Thomas was very big on uh, maintaining integrity with the evidence of our senses here, so I think it's real important. It's a Catholic thing to be rigorous when you're dealing with uh, the empirical world, right?
1: Exactly. We're after the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what can you... It, so when you have the miracle of transubstantiation, and that's a, is that a miracle of being? Uh, is if if you're not altering the, uh, the physical composition of it, can we call it a miracle of being?
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of where I. That's the miracle I ended up calling it because you know the word miracle, we can define it several different ways. Like you know, I think. When I when I gave birth to my children, they, each one of them they were miracles. Yeah. You know that yeah. I don't see how that could have happened. I think all of creation is a miracle, in that it causes awe and wonder. Um, and so it, 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 the word miracle means awe and wonder. And so those definitely are things for awe and wonder. But in a stricter sense of the word, a miracle would be something that happens beyond the order of the universe that we know. So, like you know, if if someone started. Um, levitating in front of me and flying around the room—you know—that's <laughs> not something I would expect to see, given what I know of the universe. Right. Um, and we would call that a miracle. And if if the host actually turned into a real human blood, that that's what we would call it, the Eucharistic miracle. But the miracle of being—just you know—that word is that verb to be, and is 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 a form of that verb. It really, you know what I and I'm I'm getting this also from Father Stanley Yockey, so I want to give him credit. He yeah. studied the work that, that he had. That he kind of he said the same thing that that really the purest and simplest act of faith is to believe the testimony of Jesus Christ when he said this is my body. Yes. Um, yes. We take that very literally and that is the simple miracle of being that that he asked us to believe to yes. believe in him.
0: Very good. Stacy, hold it there if you don't mind. Uh, We're going to continue on the other side of the break. My guest is Dr. Stacy Trisenkos. The book, Behold It Is I Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence. I'm Al Cresta. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Stacy Trisenkos. She is a co-author of "Behold, It Is I: Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence." She's co-authored it with uh, Father George Elliott. It comes with a foreword from Bishop uh, Joseph Strickland. And we were talking about the importance of uh, when you're faced with empirical claims, such as uh, we have here. Uh, the part, uh, we have a heart muscle. Or we have uh, this is a certain type of DNA or something. If you're going to make an empirical claim like that, then you have to apply rigorous uh, examination of it, uh, because that's that's where we do our best work, right? That's what's that's what's great about science is, is a certain set of operations and procedures that enable us to uh, affirm truths about the uh, uh, physical world. Um, when you get into the realm of miraculous claims, well, in, in many times uh, we know that, for instance, uh, in the case of the Eucharist itself, uh, transubstantiation can't be subject to empirical analysis. Uh, what would you actually investigate? You've got the words of Jesus. This is my body. But I do want to go, Stacy, to the Buenos Aires miracles. There are four of them that occur, and tell me what they are and why they are so significant, because they're, they're in the 1990s, so, I mean, they're fairly close to us.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, there were four Eucharistic miracles reported in the 1990s. There was one in 1992 um, when a, an extraordinary minister um went to reserve the Blessed Sacrament and found two pieces of the consecrated host on the corporal. And so he put those, or she rather, put those, and gave them to the priest, and the priest put them in water to dissolve them, which is what you're supposed to do, what the priest is supposed to do whenever um, a consecrated host is found in some place that it's not supposed to be, um, to let it dissolve completely. And so the report is that when the priest went back and looked at it, that that host had turned bloody.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: there was, an, so no investigation was done that time. And then there was another one in 1994 that was a similar circumstance um, where a host was dropped on the floor and, and then preserved put in the water and it was found to be bloody later on. It was the last one in 1996 that was investigated. So in this In this instance, and these were all in the same um, parish in Buenos Aires, um, a woman found the host very dirty in a candle holder at the back of the church. And so the presumption was that it was consecrated, and she gave it to the priest. And he again put it in water, stored it in a tabernacle in the sacristy, and went back um, ten days later and saw that not only was the host starting to turn into something that looked bloody and gelatinous in the water. It even looked like there, it had exploded inside the tabernacle. There sure. was red stuff. Wow. And so they, um, yeah, they. he got a photographer, and the photographer photographed the, the change over even more days as they continued to watch it. Well, the, they ended up taking the red stuff and putting it in a test tube of water and saving it, And it wasn't even until like three years later when a team of of reporters from Australia were doing a series for Fox on on Miracle, Miraculous Reports. And so they had done some other films of a statue that was crying blood and and some other things. I forget what all they were. But they they asked this parish if they could come talk to him about this miracle. And so... It was only then, after all those years, that they decided to even do an investigation on the the fourth of the miracles that occurred at this church, and so the other three weren't investigated. Okay. Um, and it was just this last one that was... But there were and, three years? When this,
0: there was three yeah, years? Yeah, and
1: it, it just sat there. Yes, mm-hmm. so there's
0: no... The 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 provenance is not very <clears throat> secure then, I'm assuming.
1: It's not secure. I mean you can on one hand say that there was a chain of custody because the sample was kept at the church. But in a in if you were to go into a court of law and say that's the chain of custody, that could even be called into question. Yeah. Like how do you know it was just you know, I'm not saying anybody did anything nefarious. Right. Just, right. It it would take more than that. But the the thing that really troubled me about the investigation, and, you know, I'm I'm fine that this starts a conversation or somebody disagrees with me or whatever, but just me and and a chemist knowing what I know, if you had a substance that was three years old and it was stored in water and you weren't, because you wouldn't store blood in water, that would be the last place you would store it. Um, it, But if it hadn't been stored properly, and you weren't sure of the chain of custody and you weren't even sure if it was really blood, like it turned into something red, but you wanted to prove to people that it's really blood. You would, you would submit it to some kind of mass spectroscopy or some kind of elemental analysis. But the team that was doing the, the documentary for Fox, they sent the samples to a forensic laboratory. And you know, you wouldn't do that. A forensic laboratory is like if you come up on a crime scene that just happened and you you found a sample of blood on a knife and you wanted to take a sample of the suspect and you wanted to compare the DNA of those two samples and then you could go to court and say it really seems like this is the guy that was holding the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, you would do that, but you would know that it was blood and you would, and it would be fresh. Um, but for an older sample like this, when you're not even sure if it's blood, or you want to prove that it's blood, or and you don't even know what happened to it those three years sitting in water, um, you just wouldn't send it to a forensic lab. Gotcha. That just okay. said, to me didn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, what so? Well, what conclusions uh, did that popular doc- documentary on Fox come to regarding it? Did they did they come to a conclusion?
1: Yeah, and, and that was something else that kind of, um frankly, upset me. And you can ask my husband because he got to hear me going <laughs> off about it in the kitchen at home when I was trying to write this. I'm like, why did they do this? Um, but the, <laughs> the people that were doing this investigation, they submitted the sample also for a DNA test at the forensic lab, and the test came back negative. Like, they didn't find any DNA. Okay. But instead of just saying the forensic lab didn't find any DNA in the sample, the investigators instead concluded that this was even further proof of a miracle because if it was a blood sample from Christ who didn't have a biological father, you wouldn't expect there to turn up a uh, DNA in the sample. So they concluded that this was even greater proof of the divinity of this sample because it, it didn't have the DNA and uh, you know, of course,
0: they they, did, they would not have predicted that before the investigation before the experiment, though, right?
1: No, and and the experiment was not. It's not an experiment that would have been able to tell you that. I mean, it's the experiment came back with no result. the The normal conclusion would be, well, that's because there wasn't any DNA there.
0: Mm-hmm. That's um, right.
1: Not that that's proof of a miraculous claim that this is DNA from Christ. Yeah, <laughs> that just. You know, and 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 I don't mean to be critical of those investigators, but if we're going to use this miracle and tell and try to convince nonbelievers, and you know, I've heard really popular Catholic speakers at youth conferences talk about these miracles and these conclusions. And I'm, you know, my husband said, Stacy, go ahead and write what you found because." what if somebody asked you in the future if you if you knew this why did you exaggerate why did yeah. you let those exaggerations be like were you so insecure in your own beliefs that you had to exaggerate yep. to get other people to believe it makes yeah. it sound like we don't believe
0: yeah yeah no that's and very good
1: i just think that needs to be out there
0: yeah now i many, when i first started broadcasting back in the mid 80s we had a number of it wasn't wasn't an this was not an association with EWTN Uh, but with another uh, network. Uh, And we brought uh, skeptical humanists on, atheists on, to go at it with uh, various types of uh, uh, people claiming, uh, whether it's exorcism or whether uh, miracles, one sort or another. And, you know, sometimes it went well. Other times you'd have to say, look... um, the reason, the reason somebody is maintaining this preternatural claim or supernatural claim mm-hmm. is simply because um, they want to believe it. Uh, there's nothing in the evidence itself that compels it. And nothing's wrong with that, but you at least should say that. You should know the basis upon which you're believing. Is it evidential? So when you see something like this, what what is the proper attitude is it simply to discard the possibility or is there are there any inferences that you can that valid inferences you can make from these phenomena that may be faith affirming
1: there well, I would be interested to see other miracles, like the the three that I picked for this book because i I was only writing a part of a three right. part book right. um I picked the most popular three miracles, the Bolsena, the Buenos Aires, and the Lanciano, and it unfortunately turns out that all three of those had questionable claims associated yeah. with them, yeah. but I also would like to look you know I do think there have been other reports of other miracles that maybe have better evidence of them. But but honestly, Al, for me as a chemist, I mean, the periodic table blows my mind. Like, it, it yep. blows my mind that God created such an ordered world in the yes, first place. That's right. I honestly, as a chemist, don't need a Eucharistic miracle or any other miracle to affirm my faith. I think it's a miracle that our hearts beat. Yeah. I think it's a miracle that we even lit, that the sun seems to rise as the earth yeah. rotates. You know, yeah. I just, I think it's a miracle that all this hangs together. And I just—I wouldn't want to seem to, like, cheapen our faith by making it ever seem for me personally that I need there to be a miracle too much when I already think there's plenty in every breath we take that we ought to be on our knees thanking God for.
0: Yeah. I remember reading um, Joseph Ratzinger, then Pope Benedict XVI, when he was talking about how remarkable it is that— the universe is intelligible; that that we can we actually can make sense of it. Uh, and you mentioned the, the periodic table, for instance. Uh, the universe is is just chock full of these remarkable features, which uh, are able to be um, pattern. The patterns are able to be seen as uh, reflecting some uh, high uh, degree of complexity and intelligence. And I think that. Um, that that doesn't we take that for granted don't we most most of us I mean, we, we just do. take it for granted mm-hmm. but it didn't have to be that way uh, there there didn't have to be a correspondence between our brains and uh the the world that we are a part of uh it, we didn't have to actually be able to see this range in the electromagnetic spectrum uh, i think it's it, the very f- fact of existence is the first great wonder, why is there something rather than nothing? And uh, That yes. has always led me in the direction of uh, being grateful and thankful, and that leaves me, leads me to God in a very serious way, because I don't know who I would thank uh, if he wasn't there.
1: Exactly. That's why we go to Mass to celebrate the Eucharist yep. and give Thanksgiving. I mean, it's amazing that we can kneel before the creator the lord of the whole universe whenever we go to mass he's right there with us
0: (laughs) yeah it's shocking and i think for for many of our non-catholic friends um i don't think it really hits them and and we have to do a better job of getting it across (laughs) and of course you do that in this book you keep us uh, honest and uh we'll talk again stacy thank you so much Thank you. Al it was great. Dr. Stacy Trisenkos, uh, along with Father George Elliott, published this wonderful book, Tan published it. It's called Behold It Is I Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real
1: Presence. I'm Al Cresto.